264, Part 3, Chapter 5. Welcome to Craftlet. The podcast for crafters who love books. My name is Heather Ordover, and I'm podcasting from the shores of the Potomac in Virginia, the Old Dominion. Episode 264, is there an app for that? This week's episode is brought to you by Knit Circus, the e-newsletter that can arrive in your mailbox delivering three rings of knitting, sewing, and fun. You can sign up at www.knitcircus.com. And Seed Pod Publishing, a micro-publisher cooperative. We publish books, not for their value as products, but for their value. Any questions? And Little Acorn Creations, handmade accessories for heart and home. And this week we are also brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash craftlet for your very own free audiobook download. And I can tell you right now, in front of everyone, that I have been, once again, a devoted Audible listener on vacation. If you are looking for a good piece of beach fiction, a book to stick in your ear while you're watching the kids not die in the waves, (laughs) ask me how I spent my summer vacation. I can only absolutely overwhelmingly heartily recommend the reading of A Discovery of Witches. Now, listener and friend Meg, who was one of the designers for the uh, Defarge series. She did the lovely little Van Tassel mittens and the Tristan who sold socks in book one, and she has new stuff coming for you in book two. She she recommended this as light summer reading. And, you know, I've told you before, my, my mother-in-law used to say there's, there's trash, there's good trash, and then there's literature. And on the podcast, we do literature. But every once in a while, some good trash is a lot of fun. A Discovery of Witches is like smart twilight for grown-ups written by an actual historian who knows her stuff, who has spent extensive amounts of time in the Bodleian Library at Oxford, and who, who does a really nice job all riffing off of the question, well, gosh, if there really were vampires, what would they do for a living? <laughs> Which I thought was just such a great place to start. So, you know, the characters are fun, the romance is romance, and all of that, but it's a rollicking good time. It's pretty darn well written, but the real key here is the reader. Jennifer Ikeda does the most amazing job of a convincing American, Brit, Scott, French vampire. Okay, I'm not sure how you do that. Uh, She has a Finnish witch and... Uh, an Italian or Spanish vampire. She's just all over the map with her accents. And I'm not Henry Higgins by any stretch of the imagination, but bad accents really do kind of grate on me. If hers aren't accurate, I can't tell. Just as kind of a lightweight consumer, she's really good. So, fun to listen to and highly recommended for end-of-summer light reading, listening stuff. And that brings me to my vacation. Yes, I had one. Yes, it was at the beach. Yes, it was the first time 
since 2002 that I haven't gone on a summer vacation with piles of work that I had to do in a hotel room while everybody else was having a good time. I had deadlines. I had all sorts of things that I tried desperately to do in the week leading up to leaving. I was up until two or three or four in the morning every night and none of it got done. And I finally said the night before we left, tough. I'm going on vacation. I need a break. And boy, was that the right thing to do. I had the best time with the boys. They had the best time. We frolicked. We saw. We traveled. We, uh, we got to find out what to do if you're stung by a jellyfish. Because Thing 2 got stung, not badly, by what we think was one of moon jelly jellyfishes, the ones that you usually see in the aquariums. They're very clear. They're very graceful. They're kind of ghostly looking. We think that that's the one he got nailed by. And so here is what I have learned. Two important factoids. One, vinegar. Now, this is substantiated by a former student and former guest of the podcast, Anahat O'Connor, in one of his Science Times little columns in the New York Times. Vinegar the acetic acid in vinegar neutralizes the poison in the stingers of the jellyfish. So here's the other thing I've learned. There's some discussion going on right now that because of the rising ocean temperatures and because of overfishing, the jellyfish are no longer competing as hard as they were for food because the fish that would also be eating the food are now no longer there. So that combination more available food for the jellyfish and warmer temperatures, which they like, has led to a bloom of jellyfish off of the coasts of um, pretty much every continent. Australia's always been bad, as I understand it, but now it's worse because jellyfish that we didn't used to come into contact with are now coming closer to the shore and people are, in fact, starting to die. Now, will pouring vinegar on a jellyfish sting stop it from killing you? I don't know. I don't really want to find out. But what I can tell you is this. The vinegar will stop or at least diminish the stinginess and the pain that's associated with the jellyfish sting. Now, the second thing that I heard, and this is unsubstantiated by me, but it was performed on a beach in Maryland by a lifeguard, is that if you have a can of Barbasol, you know, the old school can of Barbasol shaving cream and a credit card or any kind of hard plastic card. You spray the Barbasol onto the afflicted area and you scrape it just like you would with a straight edge razor to remove the tiny, invisible, incredibly painful needles that the jellyfish have injected into your skin. Now, a friend of mine witnessed this happen to a girl on a beach uh, the same week that I was gone and said that uh, she got stung in the face and that the beach lifeguards grabbed their shaving cream, ran over, doused her face and scraped it with the credit card and that she was, she seemed to be fine after that. I'm guessing that there is probably some acetic acid in the Barbasol can of shaving cream. I have not gone to the store to check this out. So I'm just reporting what I've heard to you because uh, there seems to be more jellyfish out there. So, adventures you don't want to have ever again. That's what I'm filing that one under. And that is one of the reasons why I called this episode, is there an app for that? Because as soon as he got stung by a jellyfish, having never encountered this before, I 
sat there with him. I was pouring seawater on his legs because that seemed to be a good idea with the salt. And it turns out that that was, in fact, the right thing to do. You don't want to pour pure water. It can release more of the toxins. Uh, and so I was sitting there pouring buckets full of salt water on his legs. And with my other hand, I was using my phone to look up, what are you supposed to do for a jellyfish sting for a child? And um, had he gotten nauseous, it would have indicated one thing. Had he started to get immediate headaches, it would have indicated another thing. But the fact that he was just screaming in pain indicated uh, a third thing. And then I found Anahad's little article from the New York Times and read up on that and said, okay, we're going home, we're getting vinegar. And we all piled in the car and went home and poured vinegar on him and the boy was okay. So it would have been nice to have a beach app, just an app that says, hi, if you're at the beach and get stung by a jellyfish, here's, here's what to do. Here's how to identify what got you and what to do about it. But I do have a different app for you. Obviously, there's the Audible app, which we love and what I've been listening to my book on. But there is a new app, and I hinted to you about this from the show notes and in the last episode, and I am so excited to be able to announce the invention of, and I do not use that term lightly, the invention of a completely new way of using an iPad, iPhone, iTouch as a knitting tool. Now, I know you don't all have iPhones, iPads, iTouches, and I know that the last time we talked to one of our guests today. She explained why a lot of these things aren't available for Android. And I know that someday she hopes very much to be able to make these things available in the Android market as well. But in the meantime, there is new gorgeousness on the horizon for those of you who have access to the iPad type thing. It is a new knit companion application and it's being brought to you by Sally Holt from Knit Companion and Lucy Neatby. And without saying anything further, I'm going to let them tell you all about this new fabulous thing. So, you know, one of the other really great things with Knit Companion is it has given me such an opportunity to get um, the ability to talk with, you know, some truly talented and creative people, people I've respected and revered and, and honored from a distance for a really long time as a knitter. And, and actually, Lucy, who joins us today, is one of those people. And I was down at a knit camp that was sponsored by my local yarn store. Um, and they asked me to come in for an evening and just give a quick overview of Knit Companion last fall. It was a new product at the time. No one had really heard about it. You know, we were in very early days of functionality, and I, I spent a couple hours, and I, I presented it to the group of people who were interested after dinner, um, and I was so fortunate that Lucy was one of those people that was interested. She was actually the instructor for the week for the knitting camp, um, teaching everybody double knitting, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know... We got to talking and, and we got to talking about where it could go and, and all the things that a companion could do. And I don't know, Lucy, we talked for maybe four or five months on bouncing around different ideas about um, how we could maybe partner and, and work together to, to leverage your absolutely fantastic work and the Nick companion capabilities into really a whole new offering for people. And it's, it's, it's been several months and it's been, it's been a lot of work, but we're there and we have an absolutely 
fabulous offering that I think is really going to rock the world of how we knit and how we view ebooks and how we actually work with all of the great multimedia content that's available to us today as knitters to learn new things and, and to explore the horizon of knitting. So, so Lucy, how did, how did you wind up um, getting folded into and, and folding yourself into the, the knit companion world? Because you've been an innovator and out at the, the cutting edge of things for, for quite some time now. What did you see that, that looked like uh, a benefit or something exciting for you? Well, but everything's been changing so fast in the last four or five years. Um, knitting patterns moving from paper to digital. I'm just seeing more and more knitters in the classes that I teach with their iPads on the table. They've got their patterns on their iPads, but they're not always easy to follow. You've got to keep dodging around and moving things about. And as an as a designer who has designed quite a few things where the charts run to three separate pages, which I have to advise you then to go to the photocopy shop, make a personal use copy cut off the edges, stick them together with sellotape. What Sally was offering seemed like a revolution. I also have this pet thing that, that I'm very fond of telling knitters about in class, is that when you're having trouble with a really difficult row, record it for yourself. Read it out loud to yourself at knitting speed. Knit two together. Knit four. Slip, slip, knit and just record it on your phone. And then when you're doing that really difficult row, you can give your undivided attention to your stitches and just listen to the directions because reading and knitting don't go together. No. Um, the, the knitting is right to left and up, up the knitting and reading is left to right and down the page. So the information is coming from different directions and it, they, really, they really actually fight each other. Yeah. Plus, people tend not to look at their stitches. They, they do what they're reading, mm -hmm. but don't actually, because they're concentrating on the text, they're not really looking at the stitches and saying, my goodness, that's going to make you very unhappy if I do that. Maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I misread something. Maybe I missed something. And so the idea of being able to integrate verbal directions in with a pattern, assemble all the charts together, and have all of it free of any additional weight in your knitting bag, and have access to the abbreviations because that's another thing that as a designer I spend a lot of time writing my definitions of my abbreviations mm. and when somebody sort of says oh what what does this mean and they haven't looked it up on the abbreviations it could be because they couldn't page find page 17 right. so to have <laughs> to have all the abbreviations right there at, the, at your fingertips. Um, and I was just really impressed with Sally's attention to detail and her, her passion for, for the product. Um, I was temporarily iPadless at the time. And so it's taken me, I've, I've only just got back with the iPad program again. But I, when I first saw the, the new piece of, or our new program, the, the designer program that Sally has come up with, I went away and thought, this is really cool. So it's, it's got some really exciting new features. It's so nice to hear another, another person see the benefits of the functionality of a program like Sally's and how nice to have you be thinking thinking that way as you're heading into designing things. Now, what, what you, did you design things specifically for this new release? To, to get the job done, I decided against it. I've got a library of about 100 patterns. So I, 
it's not just in need to. Um, we, we've included a cross section of some of the older classic patterns and some of some of the newer patterns. But in order to get this done in in a timely fashion, um, for me to design seven new things, well, I'm afraid we, you know it wouldn't happen. So we we've taken some of some of the favourites and some of the new things and some of the things that really demonstrate the benefits of this program, like the bicycle socks. Both of them are fully charted with complicated charts, and left sock is different to the right sock and so I feel this really um, maximizes the potential of the program. The, the really exciting thing about this program is, I don't know if you're aware, but I have um, a series of 16 technical DVDs. Um, yes. They are at least two to three hours in, in length, each of them. And obviously I, I have to pick my topics that go on a particular DVD. Uh, and so when you're looking for a certain technique, you'd have to find the DVD and, and go and search out the clip you needed. But in this method, with this method, when I say make a two-color tubular cast on for the mysterious vanishing dots scarf, there's a little video symbol, and embedded in the program right there for you is that that clip on how to do a two-color tubular cast on so you're reading your pattern it says cast on 56 stitches or whatever the number is and use the tubular two-color cast on and here's the clip and wow. you you then are immediately taken to that technique it's just that one technique it's it's concise it's to the point and then you can just go back to your pattern and carry on as Sally describes it, it's just like having me with you to just help you through the sticky bits. And my patterns really are samplers of technique. And I love I love extending knitters' range and, and encouraging them to do new things. But by having these videos in place, and you don't need access to the internet, so this is not the same as connecting to YouTube. This is um, custom take these clips are custom selected and placed into these into these seven patterns. Sally has worked really hard on this and she's just amazing. Wow. I have to say that when I look at the the, the Knit with Lucy collection one, and I go to any of the patterns. Um, and for me, one of the big things as a knitter that I had to learn to do and really sweat it over was speaking. And we've got a pattern in there that has a, a requirement for speaking. And it is, I can't tell you how I wish I had had something like this for me when I had to do my first because it probably took me two hours sitting at the kitchen table with the shears before I could bring myself to cut into that piece of knitting. How much scotch did it require? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are, I am so thrilled with the clips we were able to include with uh, Learn With Lucy. There was over three and a half hours of video and it covers some very unique cast-on capabilities that a lot of us don't have. It covers some double knitting, some basics in double knitting. It covers speaking and a number of, you know, really fabulous finishing techniques that even if you're an experienced knitter, I think there's going to be something in there that you'll pick up that you'll learn that, you know, will help your knitting and move your knitting forward. Lucy's been so fabulous to work with and the content, the depth of content that she has in her Learn with Lucy series is just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. And so we had such a wealth of video to pull from. We actually had a hard time because as Lucy says, this video is actually in the app so you don't need internet access. 
when you play the video, you don't have to worry that it's going to pause because it has to download more content. Um, it's going to be a very streamlined experience. But we had such a hard time. There was so much great content in her videos, and we had to cut it down so that it would fit into an app that could actually live in the app store and live comfortably on your iPad. Right. Um, you know, there were just hours and hours of video that we ended up not including. So there is just so much content. It's just so fabulous. Well, I was going to ask about that. I mean, how, and I know it kind of gets into the technical side. How do you wind up with an app that has video in it and doesn't take up the entire iPad hard drive? So we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time with all the various, um, you know, detailed options of how, um, how um, to, it's called ripping the video to make mm-hmm. it from a DVD into something that's usable on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And, and we spent a lot of time focusing and a lot of trimming, as I said, on the clips so that they're very targeted on, on the specific content that's needed. But still, three and a half hours of video, even with that work, the app is one gig in size. Right. Um, so it will take a little bit to download it from the app store. But, you know, we talked about this and we talked about it a lot. And we didn't think that we wanted to remove any of the patterns um, because the collection of seven that's in there is a a broad range of garments, a broad range of techniques, and is is really a a wealth of a collection from Lucy. And we didn't really want to remove any of the video clips um, that we have in there for any of the particular patterns because that sort of defeats the purpose of the app. Right. And and so um, it's a it's a one gig app, and it'll take up about one gig on your iPad. But the clips are sometimes reused. So if you're using a particular technique, um, like knitting with charts, and you there's a couple of different patterns that have lace charts in them, we use that same video for both patterns. So we did some economy um, of efficiency there. That's but we're we're really fortunate that the technology and the infrastructure to support this kind of multimedia rich content exists. And so, you know, we have not only the videos, which are, I, you know, I just can't get over how absolutely stunning I find that today. But, but Lucy also recorded a number of voiceover tips and tricks. So as you're knitting along, you know, if you get to a row that's particularly tricky or that you have to watch something on or you um, maybe a special little connoisseur tip for um, a little bit of extra something that you can do to really enhance um, your knitting right at that spot. There's actually a little audio note or a voiceover from Lucy that'll come up when you're at that spot and, and play. So it really is like Lucy is right next to you on the couch helping you along. That is so fantastic. I was blown away when I saw the app, um, you know, for real on the iPad. I mean, I understood more or less what Sally was was aiming for and what she was wanting to achieve. But when I actually saw the the finished piece and how it worked together and how just easy it was to listen to to listen to a clip, to watch the videos, and I love the fact that you once you have downloaded it, you don't need the internet any anymore. Yes. Um, I'm speaking to you from a tiny little island off the coast of Nova Scotia with borrowed internet from a neighbor <laughs> um, but uh, you can go to an isolated islands and sit on the beach and still have all those facilities available to you once you've downloaded it then you, you don't need to mess with it anymore it's there for you the other thing is it's a wonderful introduction i mean i call these patterns pre-digested 
perhaps it's not the most attractive term, <laughs> but it will teach you how to use Knit Companion and then you can use any pattern you like. Um, and it, once it's in electronic format, you can then put your abbreviations in the abbreviation bucket and chop up your chart and stick it together. But I think it's a real a really significant help to, to use one or two pre-prepared patterns uh, and th this of course has those extra features of, of the video and, and the sound clips but I think it's a really great introduction to Sally's truly amazing product she really is a maniac and uh, just she blows me away I, I, I so agree with you <laughs> well you both do I mean talk about the a marriage of true minds I mean this is if I could assemble a dream team of how to, how to make knitting easier, more efficient, more accessible, m more easy to learn about. It would be bringing the two of you together. And when I got the email from Sally saying, oh, and, you know, we're doing this thing with Lucy, I went, oh, but that's brilliant. You know, very rarely in life do two things. It's like a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter. So it is so... It is so funny you bring that up because I was toying around with um, different ways to describe the Knit with Lucy app. And actually, one of the things that came to my mind was that old video uh, TV ad. You know, hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Hey, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. So, it's, Have you experienced the joy, Lucy, of a, of a peanut butter cup? I have, yes. I um, used, used to work on ships and which traded down the U U.S. coast, and that was always one of the first things when I got the chance to get ashore was to go go and buy some Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> See, it's true. Great lovers of chocolate and peanut butter and knitting uh, all come together in one place. <laughs> well, now this this is listening to Lucy. I I'm fascinated because. Of course, with with the book that I did and the series that I'm working on, we're trying to bring the electronic world and the knitting world closer together by making all of the links within the electronic version of the book clickable. Mm -hmm. So that if we say, use Lucy Neatby's cast on, we link to a clip that, that you have on the internet. Or, or if we if we relate, refer to a book or a technique book or something, we can send people out of the book and off to where they can purchase the um the more information that, or or the yarns or or whatever yeah but is this the kind of thing now sally that we should be encouraging designers to do more of because i know when i did the hunger game socks i was thinking of your app in specific and how the charts uh -huh. work uh -huh. is this the kind of thing that people are going to be able to create for you as designs that are specifically downloadable and functional at this level within knit companion and i'm totally going to be cutting out this whole rambling part of what i what i just said but yeah yeah um so that's definitely a, a direction that we're looking at you know it's interesting as as we've looked at the knit companion customer base um, we have a group of customers who actually really enjoy setup. In fact, there's a thread on our Ravelry group, um, Knit Companion Anonymous, where, you know, there are secret confessions of people who, when they're too tired to knit, they go into Knit Companion and set up the next project in their queue. That's um, hysterical. And so, um, so there's definitely a group of people who really enjoy the setup and who really enjoy the ability to 
to fine tune how the pattern is presented to them in Knit Companion to their specific needs. But um, there is another significant group of the Knit Companion customer base, and, and I suspect another large group of people who aren't Knit Companion customers right now um, who really just want to knit. And, you know, they would love a way to knit with Knit Companion. But they, but they definitely um, maybe want the pre-digested because they don't want to spend 20 minutes setting up a pattern um, or two hours learning how to set up a pattern um, before they can do that. They really just, you know, want to knit, and that's totally understandable. So I think, I think that's a direction we're definitely moving in. Um, I've been really interested to see, since we started this project with Lucy, uh, the extent to which the electronic medium is really taking hold. I, it's... I I have run into so many people who have taken essentially their entire um, shelf of pattern books or sometimes multiple shelves of pattern books and they've actually spent, you know, weekends scanning those (gasps) patterns electronically page by page um, and putting it together into PDF so that they have everything electronic. The idea of that is I look at my, you know, shelves and shelves of pattern books, the idea of doing that, I find that to be overwhelmingly daunting, but that's the, that seems to be where people are going. So, so I think, you know, electronic consumption is just going to continue to grow. Yeah. Well, and it's so, it is so, it's an efficient economy of space and effort when you want the effort to go into the knitting. And Lucy, I'm, I'm like you, I, I, I grew up playing piano and that switch of being able to not have to look at the music and be able to look at my hands or not have to look at my hands and look at the music, the, the efficiency that I experienced with that change in my ability to play, I went through a similar switch off with knitting where I was able to read the chart, look at the chart, know what I was doing, and instead spend my time focusing on the stitches and seeing how the lace was being built or seeing how the, the shaping on a teddy bear was being built. And that's a, I think it's an important switch for knitters to go through. It's huge. Um, Reading your knitting, it it ceases just to become a, it's almost a chore to read this knit to, purl to, move the yarn. Yeah, it, that that's not really fun. It's when you when you you read read the directions and then you go, okay, I see that all lines up with what went on the previous row, but those ones move to the left. Yeah. Then each row becomes, you know, it, it's much more fluid. You're yes. not having to start and stop and refocus your eyes from here to there. Um, plus, you're learning so much more about your stitches. You're you're following the flow of your knitting. And there's one or two knitting patterns over the years that I've tried that you know we we do not hit it off. Um, you know, if for some reason that the, the the repeat or the flow of the pattern doesn't jive with me, and you know if I'm not actually having a good time knitting something, I don't I don't continue doing it very very much longer. But I, I hope that this will help people to become much more fluid in their knitting. Um, they've got all their directions, they see what they're supposed to be doing, they can look at the chart, they can look at the written directions, and then they can read the knitting and, and work from there, because they can record their own um, notes as well at the same time. You're not just relying on me. I have not read every line of every pattern out for you. But if you find you're on a tricky row, you can add an audio note to the pattern and pace it to suit yourself. That is brilliant. Although I have to say, Lucy, there are worse things I can think of than sitting and having you in my ear while I was knitting. I could listen to you read the phone book. 
That would be. I'm not sure what I can say to that. <laughs> well, and it's you know as as a as a podcaster, it's nice to hear that I'm not alone in finding that to be a pleasant experience. You know, to to give yourself the 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 brain is occupied elsewhere, and and your eyes are able to to focus on the knitting and see see what's happening. I find it to be a very pleasant and relaxing way to knit. Oh, totally. This is so exciting. Now, is this is this a new, a completely new app? Is this an uh, a re-release or an, an update? What do people have to do to get it? I think is yep. my real question. Yep, it is a completely new app. And so you don't have to have Knit Companion to use this app. And you don't have to have this app, obviously, to use Knit Companion. Um, it is entirely independent. Cool. And so all they need to do to get it is go to the App Store and purchase it, and, and it will start downloading. They will have to purchase it. It's an upfront purchase, sure. and then they're done. There's no extras. There's no, you don't have to pay once you get into the app for anything. It's all there. Having said that, it's a total bargain. Um, you get seven patents. You get three and a half hours of video. Uh, you get my, my, my attention and Sally's attention. And um, yeah, it's very good value. I, yeah. I have found, I think Knit Companion is the single most expensive app I've ever bought. And I've never, ever questioned it or looked back. Because the, the value of what you get is extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we did, um, Lucy and I, when we were trying to figure out what to do for pricing, that's always um, a bit of a conundrum. You know, we started doing some math, and I think this is over $60 of patterns. And then with the three and a half hours of video, the video is actually pulled from, I think, all 16 of Lucy's DVDs. I don't think there's a single DVD that I didn't pull at least one clip from. Wow. So it is really a, a complete collection. and It's a library what, of Lucy. Yeah, it, it really is. And what's great about the video clips is so many of the clips are specific to the project that you're knitting. So if you're knitting the Casba vest um, and you're looking at shoulder shaping, the video clip actually shows you the shoulder shaping in its finished form in the Casba vest with Lucy pointing out the very specific details. Okay. So, so to the conversation earlier where... You know, as a knitter, the most important thing, I don't know the most important thing, but, you know, one of the key things is to be able to read the instructions and be able to understand where you're going and what the end point is so that you know if you're, you know, on the right road while you're getting there. Yep. This really helps to bridge that gap because she shows you what a finished shoulder looks like in the video clip. And then there's the instructions and you can say, hey, I get how this instruction is going to lead to that shoulder. Right. She really lays it all out. So pretty great fantastic that's that is so what you need and when I was you know coming back to knitting having been a kid and knitted when I was little and then kind of dropping off and then picking it back up again it was the things things that I had learned from sewing or things that I had learned from crochet which I had done before I went back to knitting they all informed my understanding of knitting Mm -hmm. but there were certain things that I don't think I grasped or that I ever challenged myself with with sewing that were lacking when I started trying to construct garments in knitting. And having access to a video like that would have saved so much time, anguish, and ripped out rows. It's, it, what a gift you guys are giving to the knitting world. This is amazing. <laughs> 
I really hope it'll introduce people to Knit Companion and then they'll use it for more patterns later. Um, I'm hoping it'll introduce them to you know different bits of my DVDs. Um, we have quite a few people who are all 16, but Sally worked so hard finding all the right clips. Um, yes, she's she's worked very, very hard on this app and I greatly appreciate all the effort she's put in, but she has custom selected for you the perfect clips. You don't need to get the, the, the disc out of the box. It's right there and it's the bit you need. Um, so I, I feel I feel it's a very well-rounded product. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, and you know, I actually, I really hope, we put in a couple of classic Lucy patterns that I really hope people pick up again. I know, you know, Lucy, you made the comment, you've got over 100 patterns and all the new ones are at the top of the page, so to speak. And I really hope that as people look at some of your classic patterns, they start to get really excited. The, the craftsmanship and the absolute sheer attention to, to detail associated with putting together such professional garments, I think that is um, one of the things that really differentiates a lot of your designs. So... Thank you. <laughs> I, I absolutely concur. And I, oh my gosh, I am just so excited about all of this. There, there's going to be an introductory price, a limited yeah. number of copies at an introductory price, and then the price, yeah. Because this is such a new experience, it is not, it is an ebook, but it is so much more than an ebook. It is Knit Companion, but it's so much more than Knit Companion. Um, it's got all the multimedia wrapped into it. It is, it is really something new we uh lucy and i decided that we wanted to give sort of the early birds if you will who found it the ability to um access the app as uh, at an introductory price so it's going to be um approximately 13 dollars us but really only for the first couple of weeks sorry after it's released yeah. um it's um its actual price will be 19.99 which as you, as you said i mean that that in app market is hugely expensive but you know we it, you just can't we can't price it at less because you've got a video at least a dvd and a half of material you've oh, yeah. got seven knitting patterns i mean and you know one of, one of the knitting yes and all and sally has put in hundreds of hours you, you know it, it's it's funny because um it's it's a very difficult it's a very difficult thing but this is more um you know, no one would think about, hey, a seven pattern ebook from Lucy, you know, $19.99, $20 US, that's very reasonable for, you know, seven patterns from Lucy. And wow, it includes all the video too. But as soon as you say it's an app, all of a sudden, that it shouldn't, a shouldn't be more than $3. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we did struggle with that a little bit, but ultimately, I think we were talking earlier, there's over $60 of patterns in here. There is three and a half hours of video pulled from all of the 16 DVDs, and it's all put together for you into the Vinny Companion system. Um, it is at $19.99. I think um, it's priced very reasonably as an ebook, and it is, quite frankly, so much more than an ebook. So. Yeah. And I think that this is the kind of, you know, kind of the logical progression of where we want to see things going, but it's so labor intensive. At yeah, plus, you know, I mean, Sally, Sally's skill, um, the years it's taken her to learn to do this. Um, yes. and, and I suppose in my case, too, I've, I've yeah. been doing this for many years and it's what I do for my, my real job. 
it, you know, we, we, this is not a hobby, um, but the whole business of value these days is very, very strange yes. uh, because, of course, people are seeing a product to which there is nothing, nothing tangible. Yeah, and also we we also need to own all the necessary equipment to to create this. Um, yes. We can't just do it on a pencil and paper. No, in fact, I've watched your videos and I'm always baffled and thinking, God, how? And because you started making videos before. It was as, you know, we started making with an iPhone can make a video now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We started making videos, yes, before all this really became more accessible. And I actually used a cameraman, a sound man and a director and an editor. So, you know, I fell into the hands of professionals, thankfully. And we are now wrestling with how we can reformat the, the videos or the DVDs into su in such a manner that people can carry them around on their iPad. Mm -hmm. It's it's not as, you know, people say, oh, I'd like it downloadable. Believe me, I would love them to be downloadable. But there are all sorts of technical problems but we, we think we're going to be able to do that in the not too distant future via my website. But there are all sorts of technical technical issues. But, you know, we're working away on it. And unfortunately, you can say one thing, but it, it takes a while to acquire the ability and the technical know-how to, how to make this happen. And Sally, Sally's knowledge is amazing and her, her love and passion for Knit Companion is extraordinary. And yeah. it's, been, it's been really fun to work with her. The one thing I really like about the knitting community, I've been in the software community, you know, sort of selling software to businesses for a really long time. That, that was my traditional career before, before I moved into Knit Companion. And the one thing I really, really appreciate with the, the knitting community is that um, it is a lot of individuals like Lucy, a lot of, you know, very small groups of people like yourself, Heather, who are independent designers, who are really pulling together the, the equipment, the skills, the techniques, and the literally years of experience it takes to do this work. And it's all a lot of little people. You know, if you were a, a huge company and you had a ton of resources behind you, all of this stuff would seem easy. And we think it must be easy because these very large companies, yeah. you know, can easily do it. But when it the, the advances technology has made to enable so many people to participate in the knitting and the fiber arts communities with their own, you know, unique capabilities and their own unique skills to offer. I think that's one of the most fabulous things about the knitting community. I like to, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek. I like to buy local. I like to support my, you know, local restaurants and, 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 and my small companies and my independent um, provisioners of things. And I find that to be an, an amazing part of the knitting community. I'm, I'm blown away how technology can connect us because we're all three in different time zones this morning. That's true. Um, we're using iPads and all sorts and borrowed somebody's headphones. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just very cool that we, we're able to work together and that Sally and I, you know, Sally's in Denver and I, I'm in Nova Scotia and we've managed to work together. It's, yeah. it's helped. I've, I've been in Denver teaching a couple of times. And so I have had a chance to have some face to face time with Sally. So that was that was really that was really fun. Yeah. Um, and it makes that it makes it easier for us to work together as well because we've had some time together. What's great, you know, with the community that's been built around Ravelry is now when you go to a fiber festival or a class that's, you know, outside of your normal geographic region, 
you get to meet in real life a whole bunch of people that you already know really well. Yeah. So that's been a really that's been just so pleasant over the last five years. That big shift that's happened from a community perspective. I agree. It's it's been a lot of fun, and there is totally a knit companion community as well in person because every time I go to a to a, a local um, knit night, the people who pull out their iPads and prop them up on the table all kind of look at each other and say, Knit Companion? Yes. <laughs> that's, I love to hear that. That's, I just, <laughs> I'm just tickled that, that someone else thought that this was a good thing. That still just amazes me every day. I, I have to tell you, I feel like I've been absolutely blessed with the community of knitters that have adopted Knit Companion because you know, it fills a need for them and they have been spectacular. I feel like I owe them a huge debt of gratitude because they've been spectacular. They've been my voice out there letting people know about this app. And so um, every time we do an update, every time we add a new feature, I feel like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm able to give something back because their support has been outstanding. I've noticed uh, at events, you know, you mentioned Knit Companion and somebody gets theirs out and starts showing it to their neighbors. So you know, people are very excited about it. And it, it it's another connection and you know the, the electronic knitters are, are gaining in numbers i mean it's never going to be an app that sells millions because unfortunately there's not quite that many knitters and you do need to have an ipad but it, it's something wonderful and and the people that use it are passionate and they share it and and we all as small companies and small business people really really value our word of mouth promotion uh, whether it's for my patterns or Sally, sally's knit companion and in this case both of us at once that's right well, and at that point, we went on to talk about the weather and about Lucy's broken wrist. And I'm so glad to have seen that she's recuperating some and able to drive a car again, which is good. I hope she can get on a bicycle soon because uh, summer, not, not the most fun time to break an appendage, I think. But wow, I hope that that has given you a- an idea. And that idea is go check out the link from the show notes to go look at the Knit Companion app that contains all of this great Lucy Neepy content. That being said, they have given me a copy to raffle off. So if you are a subscribing supporter or a donor, or if you haven't donated yet, but would like to be put into the running for a free copy of this very cool app, please go to craftlit.com and make a donation. It can be a one-time donation or you can sign up for the subscription. Either way, once you donate, you are put into the drawing for your very own copy. And of course, if you become a subscribing supporter, that will get you also the Cool for Cats audiobook, chapter by chapter. We're up to chapter 29 now, I think. It will get you Chaucer as we float through Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. It will get you Christine's fabulous crochet tin of tans pattern. It will get you your own cheddar pattern, Wensleydale pattern, and Holly Go Lightly Socks pattern, and so much more because stuff keeps on popping out of my head. And there it is. Now, for the drawing at the end of this month for the free copy of this new Lucy Needby Knit Companion app, once I draw the name, I will contact you. This will be at the end of the month of August 2012. If you do not have an iPad, iPhone, or iTouch, but you know somebody who does who would let you borrow it and you would still like to have access to this particular app, then 
we can coordinate with Sally and gift you the app via that other person. And if you neither want it nor have a way to use it, I'll draw another name and we'll, we'll go on from there. But if I draw your name and you can't use or don't want the app, I will, uh, I'll still send you something special. And, uh, and we'll go, go on to the next name that I draw for this really cool app. I hope that was interesting for you. I know not everybody is a knitter, but I think the technology behind what Sally and Lucy have come up with really is a logical next step. And I am fascinated that none of the big content houses have really done what Sally has done on her own. And I think the, the pair up with Lucy was just genius on their part because Lucy's such an innovator and such a, an interesting mind and a lovely person. I was so lucky to sit between Lucy and Kat Bordy at Sock Summit uh, 2009 and two more charming seatmates one could not have asked for. So I'm, I'm just over the moon with excitement and joy. You know, when you see two people who you really dig get together and click and you go, yes, that is going to make me so happy. And I hope a lot of other people happy too. So I've been sitting on that interview for a couple of weeks. The app is now officially out. It is still on the introductory price through the end of this weekend. That means to purchase the app at the introductory price, you need to go and buy it before Sunday, August 12th, 2012. So if you're not going to donate and be put into the raffle, go get it from the app store on your own. All right, I just had a couple of other little housekeeping things before we get to Gulliver. The first is, do you remember when I told you about the lovely little necklace that uh, Gigi said she was going to send? It is uh, from her Etsy store. She's the one who came up with a, a new design for a, a row, well, stitch and row counter. And I am now wearing mine around my neck. It's a beautiful necklace. And they really did come up with an ingenious solution to a thorny problem. What happens if you take this thing off? How do you know which side is your number one side and which side is your number 10 side? And they have a solution. And I am not going to spoil it because I think they came up with this on their own. Brilliant. So go visit, go visit Gigi's little, little Etsy store and go take a look at the, the jewelry and, and knitterly things that they have come up with. It's very nicely made. You can actually hear it. <laughs> hear me banging the beads. Those are the beads on my needle necklace. So, and she also, she also sent some gorgeous little stitch marker, uh, matching stitch markers to go along with it. So that was so sweet. So thank you, Gigi. And please go visit their Etsy store. Now, for those of you who took the survey, you remember that one of the things I had asked questions about and talked about was, wow, would you like to start hearing from just regular people who listen to Craftlet? You know, I mean, it's great to hear Lucy and Sally, but you guys are out there doing things other than knitting. Some of you are doing really quite extraordinary and interesting things while you listen. And some of you are vacuuming while running on a treadmill and knitting socks two at a time on circulars. So... I was thinking that the easiest way for me to organize you, because there's a lot more of you than there are of me, and it's hard to keep track, I created a Google form. And that form right now is embedded in the webpage at craftlet.com for the show notes for episode 264. Go to that webpage and you will see right there in front of you the craftlet form. 
type your information in, let me know who you are and how to contact you. Your information shows up on a Google spreadsheet for me that I can then access and I can start to kind of cull through there and organize things and start to figure out times for when I can interview you. I will start putting those interviews out during Jane Eyre, our next book. So if you would like to go through the horror of hearing your own voice played back to you, nobody likes that. I don't like listening to myself. Then this is your perfect opportunity. I will call you on Skype and record you and you will appear on Craftlet. I did have one other thing that I wanted to tell you. And that comes from Laura in Indiana. Now, I think I told you about Laura. She is the owner of a boho sweater. She is a fabulous knitter. You can find her as Stash Muffin on Ravelry. She is a designer who is, she's got two patterns, I think, in Defarge 2 and another couple coming in Defarge 3. That would be the Shakespeare book. But she wanted to let you know that there is a Nordic knitting conference. This year's theme is mittens. It will take place from October 5th through the 7th, 2012. And the, um, I'm just going to read the info to you. The Nordic Heritage Museum is hosting an outstanding group of internationally known knitting and design instructors to teach. I am going to try not to butcher the names that I'm about to read. Anamor Sunbo from Norway. Ragenheider or Raga Eriksdotter from Iceland. Oh, I hope I got that right. Sandy DeMaster from the U.S., Mary Germain from the U.S., Susanna Hansen from the U.S., Carol Rhodes from the U.S., and Mary Scott Huff from the U.S. Passionate knitters, spinners, designers, and textile artists of all kinds who have attended our first three conferences know that our exceptional instructors provide a diverse range of classes, exploring the rich tradition of Nordic knitting and spinning. Class sizes are limited, so instructors can give everyone individual attention in a creative and friendly atmosphere. Full registration details will be posted online June 20th, at, um, which means they are already online. And registration is open as of July 2nd. So registration is open. For more information, you can contact uh, Linda at 206-789-5707, extension 21. That would be Linda at... 206-789-5707, extension 21, or you can in, uh, email Linda L, all one word, at Nordic Museum, all one word, dot org. I will have the link to her email on my show notes at craftlet.com. And you can also go straight to www.nordicmuseum, again, all one word, dot org. And, um, and go. Oh, if you can go, it would be so lovely. It's it's in Seattle. It's in October in Seattle. It should be kind of lovely and cool and feeling all fall and autumnal. And uh, speaking of autumnal, I have a couple of upcoming gigs. I've got the Hand Knitters Guild of North Central Texas that I'm teaching at. And as far as I know, those classes are full on the 14th and 15th. But the Dallas Hand Knitters Guild that's going to have me stay over on Sunday the 16th and teach as well. So if you are in the area of Dallas and you are interested, I will have information for you on the class I'll be teaching on Sunday, September 16th, 2012. I'll also be teaching at the Red Thread store just down the road near Haymarket, Virginia 
on October 27th, and I will be teaching on October 20th for the Prince William Perlers Knitting Guild, also here in Virginia. So if you are in the local area, you can find out more about what I'll be teaching and where you can find me. And I will sign anything. I will bring anything. I don't know that Defarge 2 is going to be out in time. I think publishing and printing being what it is, it will probably be... Um, I'm, I'm shuddering to say probably November before hard copies are in anybody's hands, but my fingers are crossed. My fingers are crossed. And, uh, you know, every book we do gets a little bit easier and a little more streamlined. And it's an interesting process. You know, it's listening to Lucy and Sally, you really start to get some kind of an insight into the level of difficulty of putting something like this together behind the scenes. I mean, you think it's just words on a page or it's just words on a screen, but the amount of information that is layered underneath it and the organizational structure that has to happen underneath it, um, it's really quite sizable. And it's no different for a book that's going to become a book and an ebook. They are different beasts and it is, it's a really interesting learning experience. Well, I do have a little doofus surprise for you at the end of the podcast, but before that, we need to do Gulliver. Well, you may recall at the end of last episode, which was book three, or part three, chapter four, that Gulliver was maybe feeling a little bit like he was a projector. You know, somebody who just projects some scheme or idea. I started thinking about them a little bit the way that uh, Douglas Adams jokes about middle management people that projectors are kind of like that but now we move on gulliver wanted to go visit the academy and so he shall and this is the academy the grand academy of legato now for any of you who play an instrument that should sound like legato and i think that is exactly the point here uh, i'm assuming that these are people with kind of sleepy minds or not so quick on the uptake type people uh, there's a little bit of archaic terminology that happens in this. He talks about uh, hearing from the warden, and it's not a warden like at a, a prison. It's a uh, what we would call probably a receptionist or somebody who's just kind of, you know, manning the door and making sure that the people who go in are the people who are supposed to go in. Now, you're going to hear a couple of different jokes right off the bat, and one of them you may have actually heard already. It is uh, the joke when people are talking about... Uh, useless pursuits you may have heard somebody say something or even Gilbert and Sullivan say something about getting sunbeams out of cucumbers well that actually comes from this chapter of Gulliver's Travels and of course you know now in modern days getting energy from a food source when you think of what ethanol um, it's actually kind of not such a stupid idea but back in Swift's day, that seemed absolutely insane. It's like getting sunshine out of your posterior. It makes as much sense. So he, uh, he, he makes that joke. And then he also has the scientists almost immediately ask Gulliver to fund his pursuits. He, he says, uh, he entreats Gulliver to give him something as an encouragement. And it's a capital E, encouragement. Uh, encouragement to ingenuity, especially since this season had been a very dear season for cucumbers. So it's been expensive to do this scientific research. And uh, you'll notice that nothing changes. 
scientific research is expensive, even if all you're trying to do is get sunshine out of a cucumber. Now, the funny thing about all of the experiments that Swift makes fun of at the Academy, and he is doing nothing but making fun of silly science experiments. It feels like it's a giant display of Rube Goldberg devices. One of the things that, that Asimov does in his annotations is actually show how all of these things really are useful. Uh, reducing human excrement to its original food, not in the way that Swift is making fun of it, but of course, as fertilizer, that's exactly what that could be used to do. And, um, uh, taking calcine ice into gunpowder. The word calcine is from the Latin word for lime, and it's used for the process whereby limestone, or calcium carbonate, is strongly heated to drive off the volatile carbon dioxide and leave behind the actual lime, the calcium oxide. By extension, it is used for any process that will drive off volatile material by heat and leave behind a powdery substance. Now, he goes on to explain how what Swift is making fun of could actually be turned into a fusion bomb, but <laughs> I think that's actually taking it a step too far. I'm just going to leave it with the fact that Jonathan Swift is being funny. Now, at Jonathan Swift's time, infrared and uh, ultraviolet light had not yet been discovered. So when he talks about mixing colors by feel and smell, he, he really, they may have had an inkling of it at this point, but that stuff hadn't really been uh, discovered until 1800. And, um, oh, uh, there's a use of the word masts, M-A-S-T-S. That actually turns out to be another word for nuts from trees. So that's just, just, just a little side note there. But there is an interesting fiber artist note in here. There is a thing that gets discussed about spider silk and silkworm silk that is coming up in this chapter. And Asimov, I think, makes an error. And I can't really blame him because, of course, he's doing these annotations in the early 80s and everything plastic was still ruling the world at that point. Well, of course, now we're kind of in a natural fiber phase and we think that that's better. And we certainly understand, those of us who have spun, that the tensile strength of a strand of silk is shocking. And partially due to the Spider-Man movies, we also know about the tensile strength of spider webs and that there are certain spiders, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Madagascar, they're doing experiments with spider silk, which is super nifty and all that. But there's, there's a joke that Swift is making. There's a criticism that Asimov says. And then you kind of start to go, well, we, you know, Swift may have been onto something. So, not the first time that Swift has proven to be, if not correct, at least more correct than other people. And whether Swift knew it or not, cochineal, the red dye that's obtained from... Uh, what the shells of little red bugs um, that is a way to extract dye it takes a lot obviously of the little buggers but it is not only doable but is done still now one of the questions you would ask me if we were sitting here face to face listening to this is enemas really and i would have to say to you yes they had been invented and people knew what they were and they were in use and then the next thing you'd say is naked sheep. And I'd have to say, I know, ridiculous, right? That's because it's a satire. <laughs> have I left enough to your imagination for today? 
at one point he will talk about the bigness of a dye, and he is not talking about dye as in dyeing clothes, he is talking about a dye as in a dye to be cast, like the kind you roll and has a one, two, three, four, five, or six on it. Now there's a little conversation that happens uh, between uh, Gulliver and one of the people at the Academy about the stealing inventions from each other, and this is actually a very specific illusion, we think, that Swift is making between Isaac Newton and a man named Gottfried Leibniz. Now, if you've ever read Candide, Leibniz actually features rather prominently in that book as, as someone who's off on the side and just being referred to as a philosopher and a scientist. They both came up with calculus, probably independently and pretty much at exactly the same time. And then there was this horribly vicious fight about who came up with it first. And that might be what Swift is talking about in this section that you're, you're going to hear later in the chapter. All right, I think those are all the tricky bits. I am now going to leave you in the very capable hands of Aaron Ziegler, reading Part 3, Chapter 5 of Gulliver's Travels. Chapter 5. The author permitted to see the Grand Academy of Legado, the Academy largely described, the arts wherein the professors employ themselves. This academy is not an entire single building, but a continuation of several houses on both sides of a street, which, growing waste, was purchased and applied to that use. I was received very kindly by the warden and went for many days to the academy. Every room hath in it one or more projectors, and I believe I could not be in fewer than five hundred rooms. The first man I saw was of a meagre aspect, with sooty hands and face, his hair and beard long, ragged, and singed in several places. His clothes, shirt, and skin were all of the same color. He had been eight years upon a project for extracting sunbeams out of cucumbers, which were to be put into vials hermetically sealed and let out to warm the air in raw inclement summers. He told me he did not doubt in eight years more that he should be able to supply the governor's gardens with sunshine at a reasonable rate, he complained that his stock was low, and entreated me to give him something as an encouragement to integrity, especially since this had been a very dear season for cucumbers. I made him a small present, for my lord had furnished me with money on purpose, because he knew their practice of begging from all who go to see them. I went into another chamber, but was ready to hasten back, being almost overcome with a horrible stink. My conductor pressed me forward, conjecturing me in a whisper to give no offence, which would be highly resented, and therefore I durst not so much as stop my nose. The projector of this cell was the most ancient student of the academy. His face and beard were of a pale yellow, his hands and clothes daubed over with filth. When I was presented to him, he gave me a very close embrace, a compliment I could have well excused. His employment from his first coming into the academy was an operation to reduce human excrement to its original food by separating the several parts, removing the tincture which it receives from the gall, making the odour exhale, and scumming off the saliva. He had a weekly allowance from the society of a vessel filled with human ordure about the bigness of a Bristol barrel. I saw another at work to calcine ice into gunpowder, who likewise showed me a treatise he had written concerning the malleability of fire, which he intended to publish. There was a most ingenious architect 
who had contrived a new method for building houses by beginning at the roof and working downwards to the foundation, which he justified to me by the like practice of those two prudent insects, the bee and the spider. There was a man born blind who had several apprentices in his own condition. Their employment was to mix colors for painters, which their master taught them to distinguish by feeling and smelling. It was indeed my misfortune to find them at that time not very perfect in their lessons, and the professor himself happened to be generally mistaken. This artist is much encouraged and esteemed by the whole fraternity. In another apartment, I was highly pleased with a projector who had found a device of plowing the ground with hogs to save the charges of plows, cattle, and labor. The method is this. In an acre of ground, you bury, at six inches distance and eight deep, a quantity of acorns, dates, chestnuts, and other masts or vegetables whereof these animals are fondest. Then you drive six hundred or more of them into the field, where in a few days they will root up the whole ground in search of their food and make it fit for sowing and at the same time manure it with their dung. It is true upon experiment they found the charge and trouble very great and they had little or no crop. However, it is not doubted that this invention may be capable of great improvement. I went into another room where the walls and ceiling were all hung round with cobwebs except a narrow passage for the artist to go in and out. At my entrance, he called aloud to me not to disturb his webs. He lamented the fatal mistake the world had been so long in of using silkworms, while we had such plenty of domestic insects who infinitely excelled the former because they understood how to weave as well as spin. And he proposed farther that by employing spiders, the charge of dyeing silks would be wholly saved whereof I was fully convinced when he showed me a vast number of flies most beautifully colored, wherewith he fed his spiders, assuring us that the webs would take a tincture from them, and as he had them of all hues, he hoped to fit everybody's fancy as soon as he could find proper food for the flies of certain gums, oils, and other glutinous matter to give a strength and consistency to the threads." There was an astronomer who had undertaken to place a sundial upon the great weathercock on the townhouse. By adjusting the annual and diurnal motions of the earth and sun, so as to answer and coincide with all accidental turnings of the wind. I was complaining of a small fit of the colic, upon which my conductor led me into a room where a great physician resided who was famous for curing that disease by contrary operations from the same instrument. He had a large pair of bellows with a long slender muzzle of ivory. This he conveyed eight inches up the anus, and drawing in the wind, he affirmed he could make the guts as lank as a dried bladder. But when the disease was more stubborn and violent, he let in the muzzle while the bellows was full of wind, which he discharged into the body of the patient, then withdrew the instrument to replenish it, clapping his thumb strongly against the orifice of the fundament. And this being repeated three or four times, the adventitious wind would rush out, bringing the noxious along with it, like water put into a plum, and the patient recovers. I saw him try both experiments upon a dog, but could not discern any effect from the former. After the latter, the animal was ready to burst, and made so violent a discharge as was very offensive to me and my companions. The dog died on the spot and we left the doctor endeavouring to recover him by the same operation. 
I visited many other apartments, but shall not trouble my reader with all the curiosities I observed, being studious of brevity. I had hitherto seen only one side of the academy, the other being appropriated to the advancers of speculative learning, of whom I shall say something when I have mentioned one illustrious person more, who is called among them the universal artist. He told us he had been thirty years employing his thoughts for the improvement of human life. He had two large rooms full of wonderful curiosities and fifty men at work. Some were condensing air into a dry, tangible substance by extracting the nitre and letting the aqueous or fluid particles percolate, others softening marble for pillows and pincushions, others petrifying the hooves of a living horse to preserve them from foundering. The artist himself was at that time busy upon two great designs, the first to sow land with chaff, wherein he affirmed the true seminal virtue to be contained, as he demonstrated by several experiments which I was not skilful enough to comprehend. The other was by a certain composition of gums, minerals, and vegetables outwardly applied to prevent the growth of wool upon two young lambs, and he hoped in a reasonable time to propagate the beef of naked sheep all over the kingdom. We crossed a walk to the other part of the academy, where, as I have already said, the projectors in speculative learning reside. The first person I saw was in a very large room with forty pupils about him. After salutation, observing me to look earnestly upon a frame which took up the greatest part of both the length and breadth of the room, he said perhaps I might wonder to see him employed in a project for improving speculative knowledge by practical and mechanical operations. But the world would soon be sensible of its usefulness, and he flattered himself that a more noble, exalted thought never sprang in any other man's head. Everyone knew how laborious the usual method is of attaining to arts and sciences, whereby his contrivance, the most ignorant person at a reasonable charge and with a little bodily labor, may write books in philosophy, poetry, politics, law, mathematics, and theology without the least assistance from genius or study. He then led me to the frame about the sides whereof all his pupils stood in ranks. It was twenty foot square, placed in the middle of the room. The superficies was composed of several bits of wood, about the bigness of a die, but some larger than others. They were all linked together by slender wires. These bits of wood were covered on every square with paper pasted on them, and on these papers were written all the words of their language in their several moods, tenses, and declarations, but without any order. The professor then desired me to observe, for he was going to set his engine at work. The pupils, at his command, took each of them hold of an iron handle, whereof there were forty fixed around the edges of the frame, and giving them a sudden turn, the whole disposition of the words was entirely changed. Then he commanded six and thirty of the lads to read the several lines softly as they appeared upon the frame, and where they found three or four words together that might make part of a sentence, they dictated to the four remaining boys who were scribes. This work was repeated three or four times, and at every turn the engine was so contrived that the words shifted into new places as the square bits of wood moved upside down. Six hours a day the young students were employed in this labor, and the professor showed me several volumes in large folio already collected of broken sentences which he intended to piece together 
and out of those rich materials to give the world a complete body of all arts and sciences, which, however, might be still improved and much expedited if the public would raise a fund for making and employing five hundred such frames in Legado and oblige the managers to contribute in common their several collections. He assured me that this invention had employed all his thoughts from his youth, that he had emptied the whole vocabulary into his frame, and made the strictest computation of the general proportion there is in books between the numbers of particles, nouns, and verbs, and other parts of speech. I made my humblest acknowledgments to this illustrious person for his great communicativeness, and promised, if ever I had the good fortune to return to my native country, that I would do him justice as the sole inventor of this wonderful machine, the form and contrivance of which I desired leave to delineate upon paper, as in the figure here annexed. I told him, although it were the custom of our learned in Europe to steal inventions from each other, who had thereby at least this advantage, that it became a controversy which was the right owner, yet I would take such caution that he should have the honor entire without a rival. We next went to the School of Languages, where three professors sat in consultation upon improving that of their own country. The first project was to shorten discourse by cutting polysyllables into one and leaving out verbs and participles, because in reality all things imaginable are but nouns. The other was a scheme for entirely abolishing all words whatsoever, and this was urged as a great advantage in point of health as well as brevity. For it is plain that every word we speak is, in some degree, a diminution of our lungs by corrosion, and consequently contributes to the shortening of our lives. An expedient was therefore offered that since words are only names for things, it would be more convenient for all men to carry about them such things as were necessary to express the particular business they are to discourse on. And this invention would certainly have taken place to the great ease as well as health of the subject if the women in conjunction with the vulgar and illiterate had not threatened to raise a rebellion unless they might be allowed the liberty to speak with their tongues after the manner of their forefathers. Such constant irreconcilable enemies to science are the common people. However, many of the most learned and wise adhere to the new scheme of expressing themselves by things which hath only this inconvenience attending it, that if a man's business be very great and of various kind, he must be obliged, in proportion, to carry a great bundle of things upon his back, unless he can afford one or two strong servants to attend him. I have often beheld two of these sages almost sinking under the weight of their packs, like peddlers among us, who, when they meet in the street, would lay down their loads, open their sacks, and hold conversations for an hour together, then put up their implements, help each other to resume their burdens, and take their leave. But for short conversations, a man may carry implements in his pockets and under his arms, enough to supply him, and in his house he cannot be at a loss. Therefore, the room where company meet who practice this art is full of all things ready at hand, requisite to furnish matter for this kind of artificial converse. Another great advantage proposed by this invention was that it would serve as an universal language to be understood in all civilized nations whose goods and utensils are generally of the same kind, or nearly resembling, so that their use might easily be comprehended, and thus ambassadors would be qualified to treat with foreign princes or ministers of state, to whose tongues they were utter strangers. I was at the mathematical school where the master taught his pupils after a method scarce imaginable to us in Europe, 
The proposition and demonstration were fairly written on a thin wafer, with ink composed of a cephalic tincture. This the student was to swallow upon a fasting stomach, and for three days following eat nothing but bread and water. As the wafer digested, the tincture mounted to his brain, bearing the proposition along with it. But the success hath not hitherto been answerable, partly by some error in quantum or composition, and partly by the perverseness of lads, to whom this bolus is so nauseous that they generally steal aside and discharge it upwards before it can operate. Neither have they been yet persuaded to use so long an abstinence as the prescription requires. Ah, how often in school have we wished that the mere fact that we ate our notes could have produced knowledge and learning in our own minds. And now from the sublime to the ridiculous, I promised you a little doofus, and so since it has been a year, I am replaying doofus number one, number two, and number three from thing one and thing two. This is episode one of Doofus Del Fuego! Right now, Doofus Del Fuego and his friend Blockhead are in Pompeii on Mount Vesuvius, the volcano. Look down there, it's shining! Uh huh, uh huh. Why is it shining? Stop doing that! You two look like some very smart fellows. Oh, wait, don't go in there! Doofus Del Fuego and Blockhead are about to jump into the volcano! It's red and shiny! Let's go in! One of Doofus del Fuego. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It is. I tell you, it is. Episode 2 of Doofus Del Fuego. We begin this episode with Doofus Del Fuego and Blockhead in Mount Vesuvius, Pompeii. Oh, what does that mean? Now, how did they get into this situation? Why did they jump into the volcano in the first place? How did they get so dumb? This is how it happened. It all started when Doofus Stuffwego wasn't such a doof. He was still a doof. Just an average doofus. He walked into the restaurant called Regular Restaurant. Inside, he ordered a triple triple omega bolo caviar, not knowing that it was actually caviar-sized jalapenos. Yikes. I'd like a titi omega bolo caviar. Okay. And suddenly, Doofus Delfoy goes, brain burst into flames and melted. That's why he got the name Doofus Delfoy. 
Where does friend Blockhead? You've heard of a mental block. Well, that mental block virus gets into your head and turns your head into a block. Just don't call him Rectangle. Rectangle? <gasps> but how did they meet? One day, Doofus de Fuego, being familiar with regular restaurant, went inside and found a strange-looking red-headed block-shaped guy. Thank you for the, uh, compliment. No, wait, wait, that wasn't it. What's your name? Rain Cramp! Wow. All Doofus de Fuego, after that non-brain-rattling moment, decided to just say whatever he came into his non-existent mind. Rectangle! And they were best friends ever since. Yay! And that was the end of episode two of Doofus del Fuego! Oh no. Oh, stay away from me, Blockhead! Welcome back to episode 3 of Doofus Del Fuego! Well, it's time to introduce our villain. I am Salazar Smarty Pants. And I worked really hard on the Echo, so don't break it. Okay, so we join our characters flying away from Mount Vesuvius. They crash land on a party in New Yorkland, an interdimensional link with New York and New Orleans. The Doofy walk into a bar and meet Salazar, Salazar Smarty Pants. You look weird. You're a living pair of pants? Touche. Well, since you probably won't understand it, I'll tell you my plan. I plan to move Earth into a black hole. My pants burnt up in the volcano. Put the talking pants on. Okay. Hey, ow! No, you broke my echo. This pants scream too much. Take the lawnmower. Ah. And that's the end of episode three of Doofus del Fuego. I am thinking about sending the Doofus del Fuego episodes to my surreal theater professor <laughs> back at UCLA. I don't have any explanation for my children. I don't, I don't pretend to understand them. <laughs> I just occasionally give them a microphone and a recording button. Thank you for listening. And if you have any comments for them, please feel free to put them in the comments at the show notes at craftlit.com. And don't forget, if you donate in the month of August 2012, you will be put into the running for your very own copy of the Lucy Neatby collection in the Knit Companion app, full of all sorts of awesome goodiness for you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you are having a great summer. Go to Audible, grab yourself a book, listen, enjoy, relax. Bye. There are many ways to listen to Craftlet. You can listen on your smartphone via the Stitcher Radio app. 
you can subscribe free through iTunes, where you can download and listen to the iPhone, iTouch, and Android app, where you'll receive occasional extras for the show. Craftlet is supported in a number of ways. Knit Circus, the free e-newsletter featuring three rings of knitting, sewing, and fun. You can find out more at knitcircus.com. Also, the What Would Madame Defarge Knit series, Volume 2, What Else Would Madame Defarge Knit, is now in pre-orders. You can find out more from the links in the show notes at craftlet.com. Little Acorn Creations, handmade accessories from the heart and home. And Seed Pod Publishing, a micro-publisher cooperative publishing books, not for their value as products, but for their value. Any questions? Craftlet is made possible by the generous support of its listeners, and for that, I am truly grateful. If you would like to help support the show, please know there are various ways to donate, and all of them help keep Craftlet and Just the Books free and available to you whenever you feel the need for a good story. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on. 